Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here, and it is a blessing to to share this evening, or I guess this morning with you, and this day with you as well. One of the best pieces of advice I got from my choir teacher in undergrad was that people tend to remember the first thing they hear and the last thing they hear. And so she would really console us that if a song was falling apart in the middle as we were getting close to uh, the showtime, she would just say, oh, don't worry. People will be asleep in the middle anyway. Just start strong and finish strong because people always remember the first thing they hear and the last thing that they hear. And as we think about people and the last words that they say, we put a great deal of importance on last words. Perhaps maybe you as you're doing your estate documents, maybe your will, many people leave letters to their family and them as things that they want you to know that they want you to carry with them or you might want them to carry with them as they go in ways to remember you of the last things that you want them to hear. Because often the last things we say are some of the most important things that we say. In the book of 2 Timothy, where our reading came from this morning, Paul is sitting in a prison in Rome. 2 Timothy is thought to be one of the last letters that Paul ever wrote. Paul wrote much of the letters that we have in the Bible. Much of the New Testament is attributed to Paul. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. A big chunk there is what Paul wrote. And 2 Timothy, after Paul's had several decades of ministry in the work of the Lord, he is sitting in a prison. And chapter 4, verse... uh, Verse number uh, 6 through 8, let's read this. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid it for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul here is writing and saying, This is the last thing I'm going to tell you. These are the most important things I want you to know. My son, Timothy. Now, if I was to try and sit down and write out the last things I want people to know, digital memory, for my purposes and my thoughts, is effectively infinite. Anything I want to say, I can just put it out there. There's plenty of digital memory. I could type it. I could write it. I could record it. And I could say as much as I want. That's not the world Paul's living in. The world, the world Paul's living in, parchment is expensive. Parchment is expensive. The things he's writing are valuable. It takes a lot of money to make it happen. It's not the sort of thing you can just will into existence and say, just throw in any random thing. It is only the most important things that Paul is writing here to his son Timothy as he looks to carry on the mission of the church and move forward. And so in 2 Timothy 2, we read through verses uh, 1 through 13. I will look at the first two verses right now as a springboard for the rest of our study. Is these things that Paul sees as critical for the life of the church to continue on in terms of Timothy's ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And he goes on to talk about enduring hardship, but he says, you've got to be strong. You've got to be firm. Weakness will not work in this situation. It will not suffice. We need strength. And he gives them a specific mission. He says, find people, just like I've heard it from people. I've heard the message of the gospel from people. 
You've heard it from me. Go find people that they'll be able to teach others also. That as the Great Commission goes out to all the world to take the gospel to every creature, that this cycle perpetuates itself of one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And Paul says, keep the gospel going. Keep the gospel going. Keep the message of Jesus. These words, don't give up on them. And he gives him one adjective that we want to focus on for the rest of our time this morning. Commit these things to faithful men. Commit these things to faithful men. You know, Paul could have chosen a lot of adjectives to describe the sort of person that you need to commit these things to. The sort of person that if you invest this in, the gospel will continue on. He could have chosen exciting. He could have chosen wise. He could have chosen smart. He could have chosen talented. He could have chosen beautiful. He could have chosen good singers. He could have chosen any number of descriptions of people, but the one that he chose is faithful. The people who will do what God has asked them to, no matter the cost. The people who will follow on and be committed to their brothers and sisters and take care of business, no matter how hard it is. That's the description of people that are going to move the church forward. That's the description of people that as we go on are going to move this church forward is the people who are faithful. Because if I've learned anything in the six years that I've been here, it is that this church runs on the faithful. This church runs on the backs of people who when you ask them to do something, they get it done. They make it happen. And for many of us, For many of you, the difference between the spiritual life you have now and the spiritual life you want is not some magic pill. It is faithfulness to what God has called you to. It is not giving up. It is not quitting. It is trusting the process of what Jesus has said. In Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit, or one of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions is faithfulness. Evidence that God has invaded our lives, that his word is renovating us and who we are and our characters, that we're no longer the flesh, that we're no longer the world, is the fact that we are faithful. It's been said that millennials and Gen Z live in the golden age of ghosting, which is basically where you say, I'm going to do that, and then you just don't do it. You don't call, you don't text, you don't do nothing. That's not faithfulness. God is calling you to better. God is calling you to be a person of your word, to do what you say. And when you commit to do something, you follow up on it. You don't quit. You do what God has called you to do, and you do what you commit to. Let's look at a few examples quickly. We're going to look at some examples. We're going to look at the background of God's faithfulness. We're going to look at a few thoughts that help this, and then some application on the way out the door, okay? So let's look at some quick examples. 1 Corinthians 4.17. 1 Corinthians 4.17. We're going to fly through these pretty quick. First, First Corinthians 4, 17. Paul says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 7. Colossians 1, verse number 7. Here Paul's speaking about the gospel. He says, As you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister. Verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. 
when Paul wants to describe the people who are the second generations of Christians, the people you should trust, once again, he does not choose flamboyant. He does not choose talented. He says loved and faithful. Loved and faithful. And so I just want to ask you right now, are you faithful and steadfast in things you commit to do? Are you steadfast in your habits of service to Christ Jesus? If someone in this congregation comes up to you and says, hey, would you do this for me? And you say yes, do you do it? Can they count on you? Because if the church can count on you, if God can count on you, then you can be a part of edifying the body of Christ. And if you're a flake, if any time you're told, hey, go do this thing, you say, okay, I'll do it, and you don't do it, we can't count on you. We need your faithfulness. Because so often I think what we do is we think that the path forward, that the answer to church growth is to find some new system, some new model, some new branding strategy, some marketing, and those may all have their place. I'm not just you know discounting the need or the, the blessing that those might be. But if we don't have faithfulness, it's not going to matter. There is no magic pill. There is only hard work in Jesus Christ. There is only hard work in Jesus Christ. But we should not come into this thinking that, well, I've just got to do everything myself because God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and verse 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 34. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. God is faithful. This process of sanctification, of change, of being made like Christ, of removing the sin from our lives, and walking into good works is not a process that happens on our own. Our work and our faithfulness is required, but God is working and powerful in this. We need to trust the process. We need to trust what God has said. And when we place our faith in him, in his faithfulness, things begin to work and things begin to change. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 6. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Listen. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. We can have confidence that no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, God's work is not done. God has not given up on you. Don't you dare give up on him. Don't you quit on him. He will never let you go if you hold on. If you hold on for dear life, God will bring about the work of changing you and bringing your life into conformity with him. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> so we continue to think about God's faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 10, um, verse, number, verse number 19. I'll read 19 through 23. Therefore, let's just stop right there. I know this takes a while if I go one word at a time. That's okay. All right. 
therefore. What's the therefore? The therefore is the last ten chapters. We're, 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 the writer of Hebrews has talked about the confidence that we have because of the perfection of Jesus Christ. How he's talked about all the promises that were in the law are magnified in Jesus. That, that Jesus is greater than Moses. That Jesus is greater than the law. That Jesus is greater than the sacrifices. That Jesus is greater than the tabernacle. Jesus is the best thing in the universe. He is the one you can count on, all right? Therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Notice, this is what he's, he's getting at this whole time here as he, as he reads this. He's basically just summarized the last thing he said for the last, probably takes you half an hour plus to read this. And he just, he summarizes this and says, this is the whole deal. You've already seen the faithfulness of God. The whole book of Hebrews up to this point is about God's faithfulness to deal with sins in the person of Jesus Christ. That God has kept his promises. He says, God has kept his promises. He is faithful, and you can trust him. You can trust him. So trust him. Trust the promises of God, and lay your heart solely and wholly upon him. Don't give up on him. Don't shirk back. Don't quit when things get hard. Don't quit just because things get hard. I want to look at some examples of what it might look like now to do this. I mean, faithfulness to God is sort of a, an abstract thing, okay? But faithfulness in the Bible truly is not disembodied and just an intellectual reality. It is done with our persons. It is done by our actions. Faithfulness is not just an intellectual reality. It is a whole life transforming reality. So what are those, some of those things that we might look at? Okay, let's look quickly at 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse number 10. So here, let me give a little bit of context what's going on. One of the things that churches have the liberty to do is to, is to help widows, those who have lost their, their source of income, that are, that are living, uh, living alone. The church has the liberty to take them into their care and to provide for their financial needs, and that's a good and honorable and just thing to do. Here's the character that Paul wants to see in these sisters. 1 Timothy 5, verse 10. Well reported of good works, if she's brought up children, has lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. This is greatness, guys. This is greatness. And we get so caught up on the fantastic and the exciting and the big and the loud, and we overlook the beauty of faithfulness. We overlook the beauty of raising children, of washing the feet of saints, of having people in your home, of caring for them. This isn't loud. This isn't exciting. This isn't going to get your name in lights and get you to make a movie. But this is honorable and beautiful in the sight of our gracious God. And we dare not disrespect the beauty of this kind of service. This kind of service that looks at the saints and says, I'm going to care for them. And I'm going to be the people they need to be, obviously, for our sisters doing this, but for our brothers, that we look to the people around us and we care for them. That's the sort of thing we need. That's the sort of faithfulness we're talking about. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here it talks about after the, 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 the gospel has been preached on the day of Pentecost and many are baptized. Verse 42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. They continued how? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, taking hold of the word of God in fellowship, of being around each other and joined together in a common pursuit, of breaking bread, being hospitable together, and in prayer together. They continued steadfastly. And as you read through the rest of this passage, the church continues to grow. The church continues to grow because of these simple things. Guys, the secret sauce is faithfulness. It's not some new model. There may be times for new models and new approaches. I'm not discounting that. But if we don't have faithfulness, faithfulness is what makes the thing go. And churches where you have people who are faithful and are dedicated and are steadfast in the service of God and the service of their sisters and brothers grow. And churches that don't, die. Churches that have people who are faithful to God and to their brothers and sisters grow and the ones that don't often die. This is the people we need to be. So what does it mean they continued steadfastly? It means that take your, their Bible reading. They didn't just start a 90-day Bible reading and quit after three days. Maybe they missed the fourth day, but they got it right back on the fifth day. When they dedicated, said, hey, I'm going to pray with my spouse. We're going to start doing that. They didn't just do it for two days and then get busy. They kept at it because commitment and faithfulness means we take these things, these things that are our priorities, and we say these are the things that are unmovable, and everything else is going to move around this. That's what priority making is, is this is the thing that's important. That's on the schedule first, and everything else moves around it. Things like our jobs, that's something that's on the schedule, and everything else moves around it. Our Bible study, our prayer, our hospitality, our fellowship, is that on your schedule, and everything else moves around it? Or do you try to plug in at the last possible second, and because you've already scheduled yourself 110% full, you don't have time, so that's the first thing off. If you're like me, that's often what happens, and that's not faithfulness. That's not faithfulness. Let's look at um, 2 Timothy. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul gives, gives three analogies here that I think are really important. Verse number 3 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier. And he talks about no one who is in warfare entangles themselves in affairs of this life or civilian affairs. Verse number 5 talks about Whoever competes in athletics must compete by the rules. And verse number six talks about a hardworking farmer. You know, all three of these examples of a soldier, of an athlete, and a farmer all demonstrate faithfulness or patience or endurance. Commitment to a task when the results are not immediate. Commitment to a task when the results are not immediate. And so as a soldier, as we think about what it's going to mean to be a better soldier, to actually be faithful, says no soldier entangles themselves and fares this life. Suppose you've got a soldier who's going through and they're, they're marching through along in, in Greece and, and Macedonia and they stop in at Philippi and they're going on over into, into Asia Minor and stuff like that. And they stop there in Philippi and they think, I'm just going to buy some property here. That's dumb. Why? Because you're leaving. You're not going to be here. You can't get entangled in the poly I'm going to run for office here. That's a dumb idea for a soldier here. Now, am I saying office is a bad idea or buying property in this life is, is a bad idea? No, that's, not, that's definitely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's easy to get distracted by things that don't matter. And if you want to be faithful, you've got to cut the things that don't matter. 
You've got to find the things that are most important and do them above all else. You've got to have your priorities straight. An athlete, an athlete has to have a lot of patience. They have to be dedicated to what they're doing. And here's the, here's the thing that I, that I think is important about athletes that helps us understand this. Suppose you got football team, basketball team, something like that here at the high school. And, and they go on to win the state championship this year, perhaps. Which practice was it that they had? Which scrimmage, which suicide up and down the court was it that they did that gave them what they needed to win the state championship? Which one was it? The answer is you can't point at one because it's not one of them. It's all of them. It's not one of them. It's all of them together. Because here's the thing about faithfulness. Here's the thing about habits is we think that we're going to do these things like Bible reading, fellowship, hospitality. And sometimes we think, oh, this is the magical pill. And we do it once like we're not fixed. And we're like, oh, okay, it just must not work. That's not the problem. The problem is it takes time. You have to trust the process. Which bench press rep is it that allows an offensive lineman to push the block out of the way that springs the running back for the game-winning touchdown? It wasn't one of them. It was all of them. Your Bible reading, there's going to be times you get in it and you're like, yes, you're eating this up and it's feeding your soul and it's changing your life. And there's going to be other times you're like, I'm in Leviticus and I'm going to do this because I trust God that if I read this, it's going to change me. That's what you do. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's give an example here. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only in milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, okay, what do we mean by full age? That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How do we get from babes in the word to mature in the word? Reason of use. Bible study is a skill and a practice. It does not happen by sitting and listening to a mediocre preacher like me, like once a week and once on Wednesday. That is not going to get you to spiritual maturity. It takes diligence. It takes time. And it takes patience. Because there's tons of things that I've studied at the time. I, I remember, this has got to be 15 years ago or better, which is weird to think that I can have a meaningful story more than 15 years ago. But anyway, about 15 years ago at, at South Penn, they did, a, they did a study on First and Second Samuel. And uh, they did Wednesday night chapter studies. Um, and I can't tell you how many times those stories just pop into my head all the time because of that work that was done earlier. Now, whenever I was sitting there at, at, 12, at 10 and 12 years old, was I thinking, okay, I need to be listening to this because principles from these stories are going to pop into my mind that are going to govern my conduct whenever I'm 20 to 20. No, I wasn't thinking that. I was frankly just doing it because my parents said I had to be there. But by trusting the process, this changes us. And because just because the reward isn't immediate doesn't mean there's not a reward. We've gotten so used to instant gratification, okay? Our minds are trained by TV and social media and Facebook and all the other stuff to say, give it to me now, when the truth is the things that are worth the most are the things that are worth waiting for. Very few things in life are truly worth the value that you get like that. The things that have the most value, the transcendent value, are the things that you work for, that you put the time in every single day. The friendships, the marriages, the brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who are raising children, it's doing it God's way every single day. And reason of use will change you. 
reason of use will change you. If we go back to the farmer there in 2 Timothy, I don't know much about crops, but I do know that farmers have to work a long time with no evidence of reward. You have to trust the process. And they have to work consistently, consistently along the time to be ready whenever the next thing comes along so that they're ready to do it. You gotta be, once you get your, your fields planted, you know, you do your weeding. When harvest time's getting there, you gotta, you gotta get your, your uh, combines and your tractors ready before time. Because when it's harvest time, it's harvest time. You gotta do the thing. Because consistent, small, daily efforts often pay the largest dividends. It's often your five to 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day of prayer and Bible study and just doing it, just doing it and stopping complaining and just doing it. That's what pays the the time by reason of use in 10 and 15 and 20 years. Because it's not about where do I want to be tomorrow. It's about where do I want to be in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and start building that foundation of faithfulness right now to do that. Because we often think, we often overestimate what we can do in the short term with enthusiasm and power and underestimate what we can do in the long term by faithfulness. We always overestimate this, right? I mean, come on. How many of y'all have tried to write a paper like an hour before it was due? Okay, I won't ask for a show of hands. I'll raise mine though, okay? I've, I've tried to write the thousand word paper two hours before it was due. It did not go well, okay? But if you sit down for an hour, five days out, and then another hour, two days out, and then another hour, three days out, whatever it is, the time that you spend that is stretched out over several days, if you put that same amount of time right before it's due, it's not as good of time. The time that is stretched out is a lot better than the time that is compressed. So trust that process. And I'm not saying anyone here shouldn't have big goals and big dreams. I want to encourage you, dream big. Have big goals, have big dreams, but don't think it's going to happen in a second. Commit yourself to the time and to the faithfulness that it will require to make these things happen. All right, a few last admonitions I want to give you um, as we close. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses... uh, Let's read 12 through, 12 through 16. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many are as mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul has just talked about laying aside his accomplishments, the past things he's done, and not letting those accomplishments hold him back. Because a lot of times, the biggest barrier to future success is current success. We can get so drunk on our own successes that we never move forward, that we lose faithfulness into continuing to grow. The, the path that God calls us to is one of growth. It's one of going onward and upward. Notice what he says about that. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. This is the definition. This is one one definition or one component of Christian maturity. One component of Christian maturity is I'm going forward. I'm not quitting. I'm going to continue to be faithful to those things and go onward and upward. As that old song says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. That's the sort of forwardness we need to have, that sort of dedication to the cause of Christ. And Paul's willing to suffer for those sorts of things. He talks about willing to be conformed to the image of Christ in his death, 
so that he might experience this, because he knows that pushing forward is better, that God is faithful, and what lies ahead is better than what lies behind. What lies ahead is better than what lies behind. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's get the hard one out of the way first. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, and we'll, we'll probably go, back to, go to the end of the chapter here. Here, the writer of Hebrews is exhorting these Christians to not give up. He's saying, don't give up on Jesus. Don't quit. Be committed to him. Be committed to his people. And he says, verse 32, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't cast that confidence away. He's looking back and saying, you guys have already been through the ringer. You guys have already suffered greatly. Think about all the great things that you've suffered. Don't cast away that confidence because the reward in heaven is great. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Those of you who are sitting here in this audience, you have need of endurance. Whatever difficulties you've gone through, whatever great things you've got in your trophy case for Jesus, praise God. Glory to Christ for the wonderful things he's done for you. But we need endurance. We need to keep going. Okay, We're onward and we're upward. Notice what he says here. It says, for yet a little while, and he who is, co who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We are not quitters. We don't give up on Jesus. And that's the encouragement here that, that we want to start with as we, as, we, as we pull this together. Don't give up on Christ. Remember those former days. Remember the things you've done. Remember how God was faithful to pull you through those things and that God will be faithful to pull you forward as well. Don't quit on him and know that trouble is normal. Know that trouble is normal because it's not always sunshine and blue skies and candy canes and all the great stuff with Christian life. Faithfulness is often in the ugly. It's in the sleepless nights and the tear-filled days. It's in the times when you feel like you are on your last leg and you want to give up. It's those times when you think, I just don't have time to do the things of God, and you do it anyway. Because a lot of times what happens to most of us, as soon as we get something on the schedule, we make a resolution to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be faithful in this way, immediately something pops up that's like a nightmare and a train wreck, and we have to deal with that immediately, right? Be faithful anyway. Be faithful to what God has called you to and those commitments you have. Proverbs chapter 16. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 16. 16, verse number 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16, verse number 3. When it comes to our work for God, often we have to start doing before we start thinking. Now, God wants you to serve you with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants that, absolutely. He demands that, and he deserves it. But he says, 
commit your works to the Lord, and then your thoughts will be established. Because a lot of times, it takes some time to build a habit. And you won't want to do it. It'll feel uncomfortable. It's not normal. But trust that if we commit it to God, that our minds will be changed. Trust him and be patient to do those things. So when it's hard the first time, don't give up. Keep going. Give me two weeks, okay? Give me two weeks, and then go talk to one of your elders if it still ain't working, okay? If you can do that, we can make it, okay? We can work with people who are faithful to do that which they need to do. All right, let's go back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Here you're talking about what faithfulness will do. Let's start in verse uh, 33. It's probably as good a spot to, as, anyway, as anywhere. Speaking of people in the Old Testament, it says, through, who, through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women's received their dead to life again. That's the blessing of what people experienced because they were faithful. That's the joy and wonder and the abundance that God poured in their lives because they were faithful to trust him. And he continues that list on. He continues on the list of things that people received because they were faithful and the blessings that they got. He says others were tortured. I'm like, hold up. That's not the list I thought it was. He's listing all these great things that people got. Next thing list, others were tortured because there is a cost. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All these, having attained a good testimony through their faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These people, some of them by their faith, they obtained great blessings, things that were wonderful and beyond comprehension, and some of them suffered. And some of them suffered. And what the writer of Hebrews wants to get is to change our mindset, to change our mindset of the number of saints who for the glory of God and the light of the gospel have lived quietly and anonymously and suffered. That's the sort of attitude that's going to get you through the dark days. When you have in your mind, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to be faithful to him. And it may not mean that other people know my name. In fact, it means probably people won't know my name. But God is worthy of my faithfulness and my dedication. That's the attitude that's going to get you through. That's the attitude you got to have, that we welcome the sufferings of Christ. That means we don't go out looking for it. We're not looking for trouble. We're not looking for pain. But it means that when it comes, we are not surprised because our Christ has suffered for us. And similarly, we suffer with him, or we suffer for him that we might reign with him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. All of this is done in hope. All of this is done in hope. After talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glory of immortality which we will inherit, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. The writer says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain 
in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that's what I want you to leave with this morning, is that you need to be faithful because your work is never a waste of time. Your work is never a waste of time. When your Bible study feels like a drudgery, it's not a waste of time. When your choice to pray when you'd rather go to sleep, that's not a waste of time. That is redounded to the glory of God. When you schedule a fellowship event and only two people show up, that is to the glory of God. And when we choose to see him as the prize and him as the goal rather than our personal benefit and see him as the thing we need to, to recognize and be steadfast for, that's a different perspective. And that means that we will be steadfast because we see that Jesus and God who is faithful is the one that we're serving. And it will never, ever, ever be a waste of time. So don't tell yourself that the things that you spiritually are not going to have an end because to the glory of God, they will. And by faith and faithfulness, we can be blessed according to what God has called us to. And so let's bring it back around to where we started. If people were, were writing you, mentioning you in a biblical letter, would faithfulness be one of your descriptors? Would people describe you as someone who is committed? Someone who's committed to God, someone who's committed to their church body, someone who makes things happen and doesn't give up. Is that you? Because for some of you, you're feeling weak. You're feeling tired and you're exhausted and you feel like it's all a waste of time. Hebrews chapter 12, after talking about the, the judgment and the discipline and the chastening of the Lord, says to lift up the weak hands and make strong the feeble knees. And right now, you may feel in your work of faithfulness that you are exhausted and that you are about to fall over with tiredness, that your hands can't do any work at all. And that's what the church is here for today. We are here to strengthen your knees and to make strong your hands, to lift you up and bear with you together. And we will be faithful to do that. Are you committed? Are you bought in? Are you wishy-washy? Where are you at? Be honest with yourself because we want to help you. And we serve a God who is faithful. And we beg you to make your faithfulness sure. Please come as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.